When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode three, and we're recording on June 30th. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Sharifa Williams, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. How's it going? It's going good. I am so glad we are having a 4th of July. I guess when people hear this, it's going to be after. It will be post 4th yeah. of July yeah, like the I'm, day after right because we're a Wednesday show yeah that's right <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'm happy 4th of July from the past happy 4th of July from the past we, we've time traveled backwards we got that's our right way back machine but yeah uh-huh. how are you doing I'm good. I'm good. I'm like, so we work on Monday. So yeah. it's not, yes, it's, we everybody do. keeps wishing me a happy long weekend. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I mean, I have Tuesday off, but it's not exactly a long weekend. Yeah. We got like, to get that content been, to you. <laughs> yeah. Like, I wish you that too, if you have that, I guess. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for nothing. <laughs> I know. I see some people talking about their six-day weekends. And Ugh, I'm like, wow. That's six nice. days. Well, it's true if you have summer Fridays and then you get Monday and Tuesday Summer off. Fridays. Oy. That's exciting. Oh. <laughs> Something I don't know anything about. <laughs> All right. Well, so what we're going to do today, like we do every SFF Yeah, is we're going to talk about some news stories that we think are interesting. And then we have a theme. Today's theme is Crossing the Streams, a.k.a. books that have both sci-fi and fantasy in them, which is also called genre-bending. There's, like, a lot of words for this. Yeah. I can't keep it straight. Yeah. We'll dig into that more in a bit, but first, I am going to tell you about our first sponsor, which is Libby, uh, which is Overdrive's new app to help you read ebooks and listen to audiobooks from your library. I am a user. Of Libby since before they booked this ad, so you know, <laughs> for the record. <laughs> and yeah, I was also an Overdrive user. And having used both apps, I am happy to tell you that if you're already an Overdrive user, you're going to want to download Libby because it's very easy to set up. It's got a really great interface, super easy to use. And if you've never used either, it really is very easy to set up. Their goal is to make it as seamless as possible for you to download the app and then get, start getting books from your library. And so there's like one tap to borrow, one tap to read, and then one tap to return it to your bookshelf. It also has a very nice tagging feature that I've been using where you can, they have like little emoji tags that you can put oh. on your books. Yeah, so I have like a little, you know, book stack for the books that I want to read next when they're available and things like that it's very nice uh, they also paid a lot of attention to user and librarian feedback when they were designing it so they really do want it to be as seamless and as good as possible there the line is think of it as the librarian in your pocket ready to offer you suggestions perfect for you in one click anytime anywhere so that's very nice so if you enjoy ebooks and audiobooks you definitely want to download it it is in your app store but you can also go to meet libbyapp.com to get all of the details and I do recommend it if you like to have books on the go so that is Libby sponsored by Overdrive thanks so much 
Yes, I just started using Libby, and I love it, too. Oh, so. was it good and easy? Because you just it used was library totally, systems, too. Yeah, yeah. I just I just did it, and it's totally easy. It was fine to set up, and I think I just want to learn how to use those emojis now. Because oh, yeah. If <laughs> you look in, fun. there's like a tag feature in there. Okay. So, yeah. Ooh, cool. Check it out. Cool. So do we want to talk about our first story? We do. Is, which is pretty awesome. Um it's the Diverse Worlds and Diverse Writers Grant. It's basically a foundation that really needs some support, and I think it's it's well worth it what they do. Um, they're hoping to raise $5,000 to support new and emerging writers from underrepresented and underprivileged groups like writers of color, women, queer writers, disabled writers, working class writers, etc. And they're currently, the last time I checked, they're at 745 745. So there's plenty of opportunity to help out. It's a literary activism. It is. I actually know one of the people who started this, and I think the founding story is kind of cool. So it was Ellen and, let's see, who was the other person? I don't know the other person, but there were two of them who decided to raise money by doing like a a running race, and they got people to pledge, and all of the money that they raised went to the initial grants for people. Oh, cool. And they're $500 grants from the Speculative Literature Foundation, is what the foundation is called. Um, And their initial fundraiser covered grants for three years, which is amazing. So this 5K is to keep them going for five more years is their goal. So you can, um, we'll leave a link to the thingy in the show notes. The thingy, you know. (laughs) The the fundraising page. (laughs) You know, you know. We'll leave a link to that in the show notes, but you should check it out for sure. If you feel like contributing to a writer getting a shot at, you know, maybe helping to pay down their rent while they write, that would be great. Yeah, because you could, they can use the funds basically in any way that they uh, think is going to support their writing. So, you know, I totally understand that. Mm-hmm. Awesome. All and right. Then next story <laughs> <laughs> is that Dracula is getting the Sherlock treatment, as the headline reads. So the producers, writers, and producers from the BBC Sherlock are like, tapped to do a Dracula TV series. Well, I think it's, like, a BBC miniseries, right? Yes, feature-length episodes. Yes, and this is honestly, like, I think my favorite story so far, even though it hasn't come out and I should probably (laughs) be a little bit more, you know, not cynical, but, you know, not get too excited because we see so many adaptations come around and... Everybody, I think, has had an experience where they were disappointed in it. But Mm. I just love the Dracula story so much. And I love Dracula, the character, that I kind of go whole hog whenever anything comes up about it. Except for that last... Did you ever watch that last um, (laughs) series? No, I did not. Yeah, me neither. I was like, nope, just no. (laughs) I don't even know what it was about it, but there was just something about the marketing or something about it that I was just like, yeah, I'm probably not going to do that. Yeah, yeah, probably not. I don't know. I'm a little nervous about this one because Stephen Moffat is involved and I have some feelings Mm -hmm. about him that are not entirely great. Um, There are some known issues with you know, the way he deals with women and minorities in his script writing. So, and and Dracula as a, like, 
the original text does not particularly like you you have to work a little bit to get it to be you know more yes. more diverse and more inclusive and i have zero expectation that he will do much of that work now maybe i'm wrong i could be wrong you never know um I, that would be nice it would be I nice to be wrong i have heard some comments that have, have have had some similar feelings and so i think that you are totally right in worrying about that because i mean it happens so often anyway i think more times than not there isn't any diversification. In mm. my head, I was sort of hoping that maybe by modernizing it, there would be some opportunity there for them to rethink the story because, I mean, you can take liberties with these things. That's what an adaptation is all about. Right. That's a good point because it will have a modern-day British setting. Like, yeah. So the, way, the same way they fast-forwarded Sherlock to present day. They're going to do that with Dracula. Yeah. it's And, you know, once the casting comes out, I will be I, – I, I am very interested in the casting. I'm Me very too. curious. Me yeah. too. I honestly couldn't really think about who – who I would want to play Dracula. No, I have nothing. I have zero ideas, which is weird for me. I'm usually the first one to put together a fan cast, but I just <laughs> can't I can't picture what the modern one looks like for some reason. I know. I mean, I think that we've a lot of people have unanimously come to decide that Idris Elba should be cast in everything and oh, well, I, would, yes, I, I agree mean, with, I I agree would with love that. to see him as Dracula like Dracula doesn't he could be Van Helsing white. though he would he make an be excellent Van Helsing. Van Helsing oh yeah that's a really good idea but yeah I, I guess that still leaves Dracula to be decided right. I feel like everybody I want to like see in the role is like probably too old yeah <laughs> or, like yeah. I was like oh Jeremy Irons and wait a second <laughs> wait a minute <laughs> <laughs> maybe Jeremy Irons like 25 years ago, but, yeah. but maybe not now. What if it was like Daniel Radcliffe or something? Can you imagine? Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I cannot imagine. He could be, what's the, who, who's the lawyer? What's his name? Oh, oh, I should oh. Know. Um, oh. The Keanu Reeves so character. Bad. Yes. That was, one. Yes. I, I should oh know my. that. Oh my but it's escaped my mind at the moment. Um, uh, but anyway, I could I see could, Daniel Radcliffe as that. Character. Yeah, I did not like Keanu Reeves as. No, oh, <laughs> I, I know I'm probably like one of few people, but I have like there is something about his acting that drives me mad. It drives me mad. But I love that movie. I love that adaptation of Dracula. Yeah, uh, yeah. Directed by Coppola. Anthony Hopkins is bananas. Oh, Um, my gosh. He's so good in everything, though. Yeah. Oh, Jonathan Harker. That's his name. I remember. Jonathan Harker. He could be. uh, Daniel Radcliffe would make a very good Jonathan Harker. Yeah, you're right. He would. All right. So I guess we are fan casting it. It's fine. Everything's (laughs) fine. (laughs) I think we've done a pretty good job so far. Somebody else, like... If anybody else has some fan cast for who would actually play Dracula, I would love to know what everybody else thinks. Yes. Leave that in the comments. I would also. I'm curious to hear. Yeah, please let us know. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's Dracula. I'm looking, I'm sort of looking forward to it, sort of afraid. And then uh, we have another, this is, oh my gosh, this is like the first 
movie we're talking about or the first thing we're talking oh never mind it is it's totally an adaptation Jurassic oh, Park I was just gonna say I, I might so we're talking about Jurassic World 2 Fallen yes, Kingdom Jurassic and World. I might take this as an opportunity to reread Jurassic Park the book by Michael Crichton because yes. hearts so many yes hearts. I I completely agree I remember reading it um this was, uh, I feel like for a lot of people, it's probably the same thing. I watched the movie before I read the book. Oh, yeah. Especially uh, our age group. Yeah. Yeah. I think I was still in high school when I read Jurassic Park. And I remember it was one of those moments where I was like, I I really loved Jurassic Park, the movie. And I still, like, get the chills when I think <laughs> about that first experience of watching oh, yeah. it. It holds up very well, too. It does. And back then, like, the effects were, like, astounding. Mm. So I was completely blown away. And then I read the book, and I was like, wow, I like the book more than the movie, and I really (laughs) love the movie. So I might join you in that reread. We should do it. Let's let's make it a thing. Yes, we should totally do it. I am all there. I wish I still had my old beat-up mass market paperback, but I'm pretty sure that's... uh, in somebody else's good hands at this point. <laughs> no, I, I will say that I did not particularly enjoy Jurassic World. Oh, uh, no. I mean, it was okay, <laughs> but no. Um, but J- Jeff Goldblum, the big, the big deal here is yes, that Jeff Goldblum yes. is coming back. That is the news. The only reason um, they had an article come out on io9, and it was because the tagline has just come out, and the tagline is taken from the lines of in my opinion, the best character in the franchise, which is Ian Malcolm. I thought it was funny that they didn't even mention Ian Malcolm's name in the <laughs> article. It was just Jeff Goldblum, Jeff Goldblum's lines, and Jeff Goldblum said this because it is Jeff Goldblum playing Jeff Goldblum, which I, I is fine I think they got me. it in there once, but yeah, it's okay, true. Okay, <laughs> But it was, uh, yeah, he's definitely by far my favorite character, so I'm really excited to see him come back. Even mm. if the movie, yeah. I watched Jurassic World 2, and I, not Jurassic World 2 as well, mm. and I can't honestly remember anything that happened in it, because <laughs> I think I went, like, deep into myself as I was watching it. Like, I, there's just a porridge of CG effects, and I, I, I can't, but I don't yeah, know. Yeah, and s- super not great roles for women in that one too oh I mean, yeah yeah it was bad oh news my. Bears. um oh in my. I, my favorite part of that movie was the final scene where the dinosaurs are fighting each other because obviously like, that know. was awesome you can't really lose with dinosaurs no. fighting each other i i agree. i hope to see a lot more of that and a lot of jeff goldblum being very quirky and yeah I don't know when that com- that one comes out, but I assume it's soon, and I assume it's going to be a summer blockbuster. That's a lot of assumptions, but, but yeah, yeah, I don't know that it. It's a year, so it'll be next next year's summer, maybe? summer blockbuster. Totally, yeah, June twenty eighteen. So we've got oh, some time yeah. to reread <laughs> Jurassic Park. I'm sure there will be all sorts of teasers and trailers and things to talk about. Hmm. Awesome. All right, our next story. Oh, this is a very feel-good, lovely yes. story. Is about how a man who was declared legally blind in his thirties 
and then told that he had an 80% chance of losing his sight entirely, has launched an audiobook channel for science fiction and fantasy. Uh, So his name is Chris Heron, and he founded a YouTube channel called Tall Tale TV, where he releases audiobooks uh, for sci-fi and fantasy. And he, like the, he he actually, he managed to beat the diagnosis, like he retained his eyesight um, through like lots of, you know, changes in his life. But he discovered as he was, you know, trying to cope with his new eyesight that audiobooks were, you know, the answer for him. He had listened to audiobooks before, but not religiously, uh, not a lot. And now it just gave a whole new dimension to him. And then he decided, you know, as he recovered, that he wanted to help other people make sure that they had access to the books that they wanted. Which is completely awesome. Have you actually watched the, um, the videos yet? No, not I yet. have not. Yeah, I haven't either. But that sounds like a really interesting idea. I mean, not only can he, like, people can hear the video, they can hear him talking. He can also, like, if you can read lips, you can read his lips that way, I assume. And yeah, it sounds amazing. Like, it's it's sad that it took a traumatic event to bring this out into the world, but. I think it's really inspiring what he's doing and that he's actually using this opportunity to sort of get new burgeoning writers out there and to help the genre and help people who are interested in the genre. So, yeah, I think the interesting thing, I mean, there's there's a pretty decent selection of publisher audiobooks, but they're so expensive. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I guess that's what, you know, Audible and the library are for, but they are pretty pricey. And then on top of it, not every book gets an audiobook, right? Um, yeah. And certainly, you know, there's lots of writers out there who are not published with a main publisher, and so they don't have any of that stuff. So, you know, he's focusing on short stories and specific chapters uh, to, you know, do in small doses, which is, yeah, not, although I was going to say it's not something that you see a lot of, but I'm seeing more short form fiction, sci-fi fantasy podcasting happen. That's like, that's a trend yeah. that I'm seeing happen. So I like that a lot. I, I'm, I'm all for this trend. I am too. I used to love listening to uh, the Drabblecast. Which is oh, one I of my favorite. I don't know that one. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. And the voice actors that they usually get are are really good. So I didn't used to read a lot of um, short fiction, even in fantasy and sci-fi, and that was sort of what got me reading it again, which, I mean, I think it's a great platform for new writers or people who are experimenting with the genre. So, yeah, I'm a complete fan of the short form, especially in audio form. So he's doing good work. And I look Mm -hmm. forward to hearing more about it. And hopefully he gets some other people. It looks like he's trying to get some other voice actors to uh, contribute because he's doing it. It's a one-man show right now. So it'll be cool to see how it develops over time. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. (laughs) Yeah. Now it's time for, (laughs) I think, like, what everybody can – everybody has been talking about Harry Potter because it's Harry Potter's 20th anniversary – or it was. Um, oh, it still is. It's still the 20th anniversary. And uh, there's an article that came out that is basically about how Harry Potter and J.K. Rowling crushed all other magical schools 
And this one I completely agree with because <laughs> the more I thought about it, the more I was like, man, Hogwarts was an actual character in this book. And finishing the book was – or finishing the series was not just like, oh, getting to the end and the sadness of leaving the characters. It was like – I'm being forced to leave Hogwarts? You can't make me leave Hogwarts. This is where I belong. <laughs> yeah, I love I love Hogwarts. And I think Rowling did an amazing job in world building. Just that little, it, it's just the school and it does become a world of its own. I don't know, what do you think? Yeah, I was trying to remember my first magical school book, which had to have been The Worst Witch, if, if I'm... Yes. Remembering right. I think it was I the worst witch, worst which I loved. Witch. I loved the worst witch. Um, and there were definitely other ones, but it is very hard to remember anything about the schools, which I think is this, you know, this article's point is that the the thing that is so compelling about J.K. Rowling's wizard school in particular is that you can imagine yourself going to the school in it, like great detail, right? You know yes. what the tests are, you know what the classes are, you know what the books that they're reading are, you know what papers they're writing. Like it's so, I can't, I really could not think of any other magical school book of which there are plenty. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think that the, the, the argument is compelling that because, because she spent so much time building Hogwarts specifically, like all the minutiae of what it's like to go to school, except it's a magic school. That's really what, what propelled it to its greatness. And I, I can't argue with that. I, I, I have no, I have no argument. I think this is correct. I, it is correct. Yeah. And the, at the same time, it also mentions like that later on in the series, um, events are taken outside of the school. And I remember because so much of the book or the series happens in Hogwarts, I remember it being jarring when, you know, events started happening like out in the real world or far afield from Hogwarts and they were no longer necessarily in that student role. And I was like, what? They can't leave. <laughs> like, yeah, that was that was really rough. And so you come to really know this place and all of the intricate details, like you said, about it. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, each time you read the book, there's like a little new surprise. There's a little new crevice to figure out or a little nook and yeah I I hadn't really thought about it in detail until I read this article it's really good yeah I mean I've read a lot of sci-fi fantasy books and I've read a lot of magical school books and I don't think I could tell you a spell from any of them except for Harry Potter honestly yeah (laughs) like I really don't think I could I mean there's a whole like you know it's a world of wiki out there too that's recorded it because it is so recordable like Mm. you could have a textbook of all things hogwarts Mm. and Mm -hmm. i'm sure there is one in existence well yeah and there are all those kickstarters for making actual hogwartses right hogwartses that's the plural i've decided (laughs) hogwartses that sounds right I've seen a I bunch. Didn't know I know about that. They're I skirting. Um, I'll send you some links. They're skirting, <laughs> uh, tra- like trademark infringement. So Ooh. you know they're not called Hogwarts, but but that's what they are. They're magic schools, a la Hogwarts, basically. So I want to go. I know Maybe I'm it's too really old. expensive, and it's like in Eastern Europe or something. Okay, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> 
Awesome. Well, I think that that is, is that it for our news? Yeah, that's yeah, it for our news. Yeah, that's it for our news. So now we can actually talk about some crossover books. Oh, actually, it's it's my time. I'm going to bring in the, uh, the next sponsor, which is Zen Diagram by Wendy Brandt. Um, and that's from Casey Piloff. So the story is being a math genius is not exactly a ticket to popularity for 17-year-old Eva. Even worse, whenever she touches another person or their belongings, she gets glimpses of their emotions, secrets, and insecurities, making her keep her distance from everyone. So when Eva realizes she can touch Zen, a handsome and soulful artist, ooh, that sounds, that sounds fun, without <laughs> getting visions, only sparks... She finds herself drawing closer to him, but then she discovers the history that links them and the truth that threatens to tear the two apart. So this is by uh, Wendy Brandt, is a debut author, and this is a debut imprint, so very exciting, very fresh and new. And we thank you, Zen Diagram and Wendy Brandt, for sponsoring the show. All right. So Crossing the Streams, which is what I have a tendency to call it, because why not make a Ghostbusters joke if you can? Yes. (laughs) And then, but genre bending, I think, is also a term that gets thrown around, right? Like when you have, like, a a mystery that's also sci-fi or a fantasy that's also literary or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, And I... There are certain things, there's one book in here that I was always um, unsure about, whether it was like sci-fi or fantasy, and I think like in general there's like the superhero genre and stuff where it it becomes a little bit confusing, but also very fun. Like there's a lot of opportunity to experiment in interesting ways with sci-fi and fantasy with uh, crossovers. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because, for example, I would consider the X-Men, speaking of superheroes, I would Mm -hmm. consider that, well, really all of the Marvel stuff, I would consider that sci-fi because there's always like a genetic explanation or a a science Science medical, you know, somebody got bit by a radioactive spider or they have a genetic mutation or they had the super soldier formula or whatever. Like there's always a science-backed explanation for their powers. Whereas, you know, in a straight up fantasy, like magic is just a thing you can suddenly do. Like Harry Potter, does, I mean, you know, he he didn't get bitten by a radioactive spider. Yeah. He got bitten yeah. by a lot of spiders, but not a radioactive one. And so, so to me, it really goes down to does your book explain the supernatural in a plausibly scientific way or not? And and if, and and then if you have a book that does both, that has like high-tech stuff and fantasy that is not explained by technology, oh, that just makes me so happy. I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's really fun. It's really fun to genre. And I think like I can, I see a lot more of it now. Maybe I'm just reading a lot more. Um, and especially with, I think maybe with literary fantasy, I see it a lot as well. Um, magical, I don't know, does magical realism count as uh, genre bending? That's a whole separate show. Like, like literally, I have it on the agenda for us to talk about that. (laughs) Okay, we're going to leave that on the table. (laughs) Do you want to talk about your uh, first pick? Yeah, I do. So my first pick for books that have science fiction and fantasy in them is All the Birds in the Sky by Charlie Jane Anders, which you probably heard about because it won all kinds of awards, well-deserved. 
and is amazing. Uh, it is about it's like a, an apocalypse story, but it starts with these two young kids, Patricia and Lawrence, who are equally weird and loners. And so they make friends in middle school. And Patricia is a witch and Lawrence is a tech genius. And their lives diverge at a certain point and then come back together in this, you know, potentially prophesied Armageddon situation. And you have like supercomputers and artificial intelligence and, you know, think tanks and all of that stuff on Lawrence's side. And then on Patricia's side, you have she's part of a coven and you find out what other people have in terms of magic. And like her magic is never once explained as something to do with science or technology. And somehow Charlie Jane Anders managed to like mash it all together and make it work, which is such a great talent and achievement. Like, especially the ending, which I'm not going to spoil for you, but, oh, the ending is so perfect, in my opinion. Like, the way that she brought it all together at the end. I, yeah, I love that book. It was so, so fun. And I love anything with witchiness in it, so it totally appealed to me. I was honestly like, well, am I going to really want to read about, like, the computer stuff? I just want to get back to the witchy stuff. But no, Mm. it was really good. I love that book. Totally agree. Um, My first pick is one we have already talked about briefly. We gave it a... we gave it a little bit of a big ups on the last episode, but it's The Prey of Gods by Nikki Drayden. And I do feel like I've been talking about this book so much recently, and I actually got to got to recommend it for like this Wall Street Journal summer reading list. So I was really excited to give it props because I don't know if a lot of people are reading it. It, it gets hard to tell outside of the bookish or book riot community but it's such a good book and it it has that crossover element um and i would call it madcap some might say banana pants but you you kind of get where it's going it's about a brewing war between demigods and that's the fantasy element and then you have these sentient bots which is like the sci-fi element And then the book takes place in near-future South Africa, and the story revolves around a number of characters, actually. Uh, There's a young Zulu girl who's sort of a village outcast, and there's a teenage boy, Muzi, who has feelings for his best friend. There's a pop star diva, a politician who wants to be a pop sensation, and then there's Sydney, who is the one we were talking about last episode when we were talking about uh, villains. And Sydney's a part-time nail technician and an ancient demigoddess. She's out to reclaim her power over the people. And she basically thrives on fear and leaves a wake of bodies wherever she goes. But the other characters in the story are also finding their power. Um, some thanks to this new designer drug called Godsend. And then Namvula, the little girl um, from the village, finds her power thanks to this mystic man named Mr. Tao. So meanwhile, these personal bots that are like one part pet, one part personal assistant to anyone who has one, which is a lot of people, they're like, uh, if you want to think about them as like the iPhone equivalent, but way more developed, Um, they have their own thought processes and make these observations over the course of the book. And these perceptions become increasingly expansive and human, so all these storylines begin to converge. Uh, bringing the characters closer closer to this battle to save humankind from Sydney and all sorts of unpredictable, like, what even events unfold. I blazed through this book, and it was, to me, the perfect balance of sci-fi and fantasy, and it was definitely one of my favorite reads so far this year. Yeah, I have to agree on all counts. The Prey of Gods is so good. It's just... 
I know. Really good. <laughs> Impeccable. <laughs> it's so weird and it's so well paced and you kind of hate everyone, but you kind of yeah. like them all too. Like there's like multiple kinds of alchemy going on in that book. Uh, yeah, it's it's amazing what she's done. I can't remember if this is her debut, but I she's, think it is. She, yeah, she's an amazing writer. And by the way, I, I can't remember if we brought up last time, but I think you were mentioning that it only came out in paperback. And yes, yeah, that is a, true because I just ritual. bought it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's awesome. Get it. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. I was just going to say, yes, Sydney made my list of, of favorite villains last time. So. Yes. Yeah. And she's definitely one of the best I've come across as well in a long time, actually. Sydney's awesome. She's pretty great. And terrible. She's terrible. And terrible. <laughs> She's a horrible human being. Not human being. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, my second pick for this question is a short story collection, which I don't know if that's cheating or not, but I'm no. going to do it anyway. Um, <laughs> so it's The Paper Menagerie and Other Stories by Ken Liu, who also is writing a like epic fantasy silk punk series. Um, the first one is called The Grace of Kings, and that's like straight up, you know, fantasy. Mm-hmm. But this short story collection was the first book that they put out by him. I'm I'm 98% sure. I always get pub dates wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's right. And um and he is amazing. He's amazing at short fiction and the the lead story the paper menagerie is probably more on the magical realism side and um, it's about a young boy whose mother folds origami animals for him and then breathes them into life uh and and but it's also about you know being a first generation in an immigrant family and trying to distance yourself from the perceived issues with your family's history and trying to find your way back to your parents and oh like it's a gut punch in the feels it's it's really really good um but but this collection has a huge range like you don't really realize how how bonkers his imagination is until you start getting into it and and one of the one of the ones in particular that I loved the bookmaking habits of select species is like an alien survey of how people tell stories, like an anthropological <laughs> survey. But the species wow. are all really mind-bogglingly strange and surreal. And, oh, man, it's so good. He is just great. So the the collection sort of bounces back and forth between science fiction and fantasy. But it all came from the same brain, which I love. I love that. So, so yeah, possibly cheating a little bit. But you know what? I'm going to go with it. Just go with so it. Yeah. That's, again, that's the Paper Menagerie and Other Stories by Ken Liu. I don't know how Ken Liu does it. Like, everywhere I turn, he's either translating something or writing this giant book or doing short Mm -hmm. stories. Like, I don't know how he finds the time, but he's an incredible, incredible author. Yeah, Yeah. agree. Much respect. Um, Okay, so my my last pick is one where I was – it was sort of like, "Eh, is it? Is it crossover? But it's The Regional Office is Under Attack by Manuel Gonzalez. Um, And it was one of my favorite reads of the previous year. And this is one of those superpower, superhero-type stories, but it is genre-bending. 
because they're superpowers and mechanical arms and <laughs> cyborgs and yes. magic. It's true. I, I co-signed this. I co-signed okay. this one. Okay, good. I couldn't remember quite if they explained like the whole reasoning behind the powers because it's no, been. No. Okay, good, good. All right, this counts. <laughs> so, yeah, this superhero genre has always confounded me. But um, in the book, there's this, there is a regional office, as stated, and the office is up against this rebel attack. And the office is led by this mysterious woman who almost seems like, like kind of like a demigod. She's um, extremely and supernaturally powerful, but she's not the only one who's gifted. And really, the story to me is about Rose, who is mm-hmm. a student of assassin school, and Sarah, who is an executive assistant. And when I read this book, I was like, I had this day job where I was very yes. much in that executive assistant role. And I was like, wow, this is a story for me. Like, I'm filing my papers, but maybe like some assassin is going to fly out through the air ducts and attack me, and maybe I wouldn't like that, so never mind. <laughs> and you don't have a robot arm to protect you. I really don't have a robot arm, but, you know, it's we're getting there. It's 2017. <laughs> uh, so there's Rose and there's Sarah, and they're, they have very different talents. They're both gifted in their own ways, and... I feel like they almost embody the crossover element of this story. Mm-hmm. And they're both fierce, very fierce. You wouldn't necessarily see it automatically from Sarah. But they are also polar opposites. Sarah's been loyal to the office most of her adult life. And Rose is, she's the one tearing through the air ducts to bring the place down, basically. So it takes a while to come around to why there is this versus situation going down. But getting there is so wholly satisfying. It is so action-packed and full of interesting characters and backstories. And the ending is just wild. So I could also see this as being a completely worthy summer read because of its pace. And it sort of has a spirit of fun. And it's a standalone book. So once you're done with it, you're done with it. And I don't know, for me, that's... That's very satisfying sometimes, especially with uh, fantasy and sci-fi where we can tend to go on and on and on forever. <laughs> but yeah. That what? Was- <laughs> you don't say. 17 book series? What? I know. I mean, I love that too. I can't let go. I am. That's why I'm a big fan of it. But yeah, if you want, if you're looking for like a sort of standalone thing and you just want like a lot of action and a lot of violence mm. and you know, wild things happening, definitely pick up the regional office is under attack. And that was by Manuel Gonzalez. And that was it for our picks. Yeah. The, yeah. There we go. <laughs> that's that's the show, basically. <laughs> Thank you so, so much for listening. Uh, yeah. Please do leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We love to hear your feedback and it helps for other folks to find the show. Uh, you can find me online, mostly on Tumblr these days at jenirl.tumblr.com. Jen with two N's, irl.tumblr.com. And you can find me mostly on Instagram these days. Nobody uses Twitter, it seems. Uh, at S Zina Williams. That's S Z A I N A B Williams. And I hope to hear from you. I hope you guys talk to us about your Dracula fan casting because mm-hmm. I'm really curious. Did you get any Darkling fan art comments? 
I haven't yet. Oh, well, I actually, I haven't checked in at the comments recently, but <laughs> I was sort of like, I don't know if I want to see. <laughs> I'm still like vaguely embarrassed. I uh... loved it. I loved it. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. All right. (laughs) All right. Well, we'll talk to you guys later. Happy reading. Bye.